This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel. They are proud sponsors of our show and even hosted our podcast live in San Francisco during preseason. Thank you to the Intercontinental for hosting us in a very comfortable space with great acoustics and a bunch of great Madridistas in attendance. So thank you to everyone all around. Tonight's episode is pretty jam-packed, so we're going to get right to it. It's a three-parter. So part one, Jose Perez and I preview the Almeria game. Part two, Siddharth Ramsundar and I, we go through three possible outcomes for Real Madrid's season in a bit of a season preview and a little bit of a different take. And then part three is a conversation that I had with Ray Hudson and Kevin Egan, two great friends who are amazing at what they do. Obviously, Ray Hudson needs no introduction and Kevin Egan uh, doing so much amazing things in the media world. One of the people I really admire, one of the most confident and powerful and energetic presences I've ever seen in media, to be honest. And any time I jump on a call with him, it's special because he just is so much fun to talk to that he just brings out the best in all of the guests. And it's just a really, really fun thing to do. So I always say yes to Kevin whenever he asks me to come on Sirius XM FC. And I uploaded a small clip, not the entire thing, obviously, but just a small clip of the conversation where we were talking about uh, the work Florentino Perez has done and some other things. So stick around for part three as well. The timestamps are in the show notes, so zoom around as you wish, enjoy your beverage of choice, and kick back, relax, and let's get it, and let's get started with the voices of Derek Ray and Ray Hudson. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog, uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there, so Benzema needs to rest ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1 some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation All right, hello and welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast on a Friday, joined by Jose Perez. We are trying to make this a Friday mm. tradition, and so far we are at consecutive weeks, which means we're yes. off to a good start with lots of momentum. So Jose Perez is here. Jose, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, hello, Kian. Hello, everyone. It is, I still, as you can hear from this, I still have lost a bit of voice after yelling so much in the last PSV game, the one that they kind of won against Monaco in extra time. We had we yelled a lot in that stadium, so I still I'm st- my voice is still a bit off, but that that was worth it. That was a fun that was a fun night. You know, I I didn't really truly understand the the extent of your fandom for PSV until mm. recently because I, I I I think I saw you there at a couple games last season just through your social media posts, and I thought, oh, Jose is just checking out his local team. Why not? I would do the same if I had a local team. Uh, actually, I don't I I don't go to any Toronto FC games, but. Uh, so, but <laughs> that's, I was like, that's cool. But then I realized that you go to every game, you're a passionate fan and you put notes, but listen, as much as I actually want to get more information out of you from that, we don't have time. We got to talk about Let's Almeria. All right. Yes. So we got uh, a game against Almeria coming up. It's a season opener. You and I are going to aim to do a lot of, uh, pregame podcasts, previews and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, with all due respect, I think it's possible that this one might not be the most interesting opponent, but it is the opening match day. Almeria is located in the southeast of Spain in a beautiful region. You and McTeer will be on site for us for managing Madrid this weekend uh, away to Almeria. 
And I'm wondering if you can just give us a little background check on them before we get into some of the tactical things. What do we need to know about Almeria? Yes. So, uh, like, first of all, it's just really fun to be back doing the scouting report. So, I mean, that's the nice thing about being back in season. So, to start with Almeria, I mean, the story with them really starts in, like, August 2019. Uh, they were taken over by Turki al-Sheik, who is the chairman of the board of directors of the Saudi General Entertainment Authority. So, so yes, Almeria is basically a Saudi-backed club. And they've been trying to put in investments into the club. Um, one of the interesting things is that in the first two years, let's just say that club management was a bit impatient. They cycled through managers. They were they fired them right towards the end of the season when they like they saw that Almeria would not make direct promotion. So then they fired the managers there, and then you put in new managers right bef before the promotion playoffs. That was obviously not the best of ideas. So it didn't work out well for them in the first two years. They lost promotion playoffs uh, both times. Uh, one of those managers, by the way, was Guti, who was coaching them throughout the 2019-2020 season. Uh, and he got fired right before uh, the playoffs when it was clear that he was not going to make direct promotion. So... But finally, this one season, they finally stuck to one manager for a year, which in this case was Ruby. Uh, and they made it this time. They made it through direct promotion, first, pl first place in the league. They, are, they were the strongest team in the league. Um, and uh, that's really the, the quick version of Almeria history in the last three years. How much do you think they're like, so obviously they did well in Segunda, very clearly. We know that now. Um, how much does their playing style change after getting promoted, do you think? Do they stick to their identity and core values? Do they become more defensive? Like, how do you see that, that part of their that's, games unfolding? That's one of the big questions, really, this season for, for Almeria. Because Almeria is going to go through something that we see many times with newly promoted teams. We've had a few of those cases Rayo Vallecano, Huesca, uh, teams that were very possession, that were very used to having the ball, to having most of the ball throughout the games and to having the initiative. Uh, and, not, and of course, they were like the big teams in their division. And now these teams that were very proactive, very possession-based are going to have to get used to having a lot less of the ball, to being the underdog and have to be more reactive. And I mean, cases like Rayo Vallecano or like Huesca many times did not handle that transition well. Uh, and we'll have to see uh, what happens in this case with, with Ruby. Uh, there's a good chance that he won't compromise. So he will keep using. So uh, Almeria is a possession-based 4-3-3 team. And there's a good chance that he, they will, con and the most likely thing is that they will continue using that possession-based 4-3-3. They might try to perhaps be a bit more conservative in how they press and how they defend. So try to remain, try to defend a bit deeper, a bit more compact. But other than that, uh, especially in possession, I think they're going to try to do many of the things they were doing last year. So don't, I wouldn't expect too much adjustment from Ruby. Uh, so that's maybe their overall arching season. Does anything change specifically for Real Madrid, for the Real Madrid game this weekend? Uh, yes. So with uh, with regards to lineup, um, we would, uh, 
the the story right now with Almeria it's interesting because they've had a relatively quiet summer so so with no like I mean this is not I don't know this is not Premier League and Nottingham Forest you cannot just go do 10 new expensive signings uh, now that you're going into first division because even though Almeria have the money La Liga financial regulations do not allow them to so even now they're having issues registering players because actually and it's interesting because right now what happened is that the play all of the players wages uh they got higher when they went from second to first division i presume it was something in their contracts mm. and now almeria overpassed the, their salary limit so they're mm. having issues selling players now and they're only going to overcome it by selling their star striker who is nigerian umar sadik so that's the current story and but because of all that they haven't been able to buy uh, too many players. So the 11 that we're going to see this weekend against Real Madrid is going to be very similar to the one that they fielded last season. So uh, it's going to be possession-based 4-3-3 with many of those names as far. Um, um, so looking at uh, the goalie position, it's going to be goalkeeper Fernando, who was in, with them last season. They just got... Uh, Fernando Pacheco from Alaves, who's a fairly good keeper, uh, but I think he's not going to start yet. Um, they also got uh, center back Babic, who's a signing from the Serbian league. He is probably, if I look at the 11, he's probably the only one of the new signings who's going to start the game. Um, so it's Babic, Rodrigo Eli, who was also an Alaves player, but he came into Almeria in previous seasons. So their starting center-back pair is going to be Babic and Rodrigo Eli. Then the fullbacks, who tend to be very aggressive, are Akieme, who, who was a former Barcelona player, if I recall correctly, uh, and Alejandro Pozo, who was, who was a former Sevilla youth player. Again, very aggressive, very aggressive fullbacks. Then uh, the... Um, Central midfield is going to be, again, mostly the same as last season. Uh, you ha one has to put attention on De Laos, who's their main defensive midfielder, the guy who recovers most of the balls. Uh, and Samu Costa, who just a promising young midfielder, um, a promising young midfielder. Then, as far the, the interesting bits start coming in their front, in their front three, uh, you have, uh, I think his name is Francisco Portillo, who is, He's been an a player who's made a bit of a career throughout the years in smaller Spanish teams. He had really interesting cameos in like, he was the creative guy in the times of, uh, of the Getafe of Jose Bordalas. And now he's ended up in, uh, he's ended up in Almeria and he was probably, he was one of the most prolific chance creators in the second division. So uh, Portillo, uh, who's the right winger, he's going to be, the guy who's really in charge of of chance creation in this team, and uh, on the other on the other wing, on the left wing, you have Ramasani, who is actually a former Manchester United youth player. Um, so that those are expected to be that's kind of expected to be the starting lineup for now. The big doubt for Almeria is in the striker position because their star striker Umar Sadik is likely going to leave. Uh, he's just waiting for the for the sale. So. They are so we are wondering if he's going to play this weekend or not. He's barely had any preseason with the team because it's so because he because he's going to leave. So 
if he doesn't leave, then the, the substitute striker, Diego Sosa, who's had like a pretty solid, at least in second division, he had a pretty solid rate of goal scoring despite being the substitute. So that's currently how the lineup looks, uh, looks for Almeria. Guys to watch out. I mean, the reality is that the the person to watch out for in Almeria was Umar Sadiq. He's the player. He's the kind of player who you wonder how he was, how was he still playing in second division? Because uh, he had the talent to be playing, I don't know, in say a top a top half Spanish side. Uh, he was really the main danger. If he plays, then yes, you gotta watch out because he's a pretty complete striker. Uh, he would look, he's more technical than what he looks, but at least in La, in the second division, he bullied everyone there physically. And it, he, and he was usually, he could act as a target man. So if uh, Almeria is a very possession-based team, but if they were having issues, if they were being pressed and it was difficult for them uh, to pass the ball, to pass the ball out of there, they could just send the long ball to Umar Sadiq. So, Again, for the rest of the season, Almeria is going to have to learn to live without him. There is some chance that he might play against Real Madrid. And he would be the guy to watch out for if he plays. So just uh, as we wrap it up here, I think we have like a minute left before we have to move on. But uh, the Sadiq bit of this is interesting to me because this is a guy who scored 41 goals in the last two years in Segunda. And... A player who, under Steven Gerrard at um, at Rangers, just did not um, feature. And in fact, I think Gerrard basically yes. cast him aside and yes. canceled the loan deal and stuff. And now he's in this situation. And the most staggering thing of all this is that Almeria CEO, four days ago, said that Sadiq is going to be sold for $30 million or just under $30 million. That's a Correct. big number for them. It, which makes me happy because if they're going to lose a player like that, that's a pretty decent fee to come out of Segunda. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a yeah. solid, solid number. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's interesting that now like Almeria would normally have the money to retain a player like this, but La Liga regulations don't allow them to. So to actually meet, uh, to actually raise their salary limit, they have to sell Sadiq. There's no, there's no other choice. Yeah. Um, all right, Jose, be interesting. We got the game coming up on Sunday. Obviously, we'll have the post-game coverage for you guys listening. And I uh, just wanted to say thanks, Jose, for this brief cameo. It was very informative, a lot of information in, in a small amount of time and very efficient. So thank you for your time, Jose. Look forward to having you on next week again. Appreciate you. Yep. Look forward to more scouting reports. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. All right, welcome to part two of the Management Madrid podcast on this fine Friday. We are continuing full steam ahead with some content. And today we have Siddharth Ramsundar on. He hasn't been on, I think, possibly since the weekend of the whole Mbappe fiasco where we had a, a four-man a four -man pod with Jose and, uh, and Matt. Oh, actually, you, you were on the Too Many emergency podcast, weren't you? I was on the Too Many, but yeah. less... I remind everyone I was also on the Man City preview podcast before the second leg. That was my favorite. Those are the last three I've been on, everyone. <laughs> Those were three really, really big ratings ones too. So I think you were part of three three huge podcasts. Um, so we're, we're bringing you back. You have a gimmick that you basically came up with. And 
I'm all for it. I have no idea what's in store for me. I have, you have not told me any details. I'm just going to ask you and we're going to go through it and I'm going to be surprised by it. So we have come up with three outcomes. Is that correct, Sid? Yes. Um, I would like to vaguely talk about the three most likely outcomes for Real Madrid season. What do we think? Like three, you know, we flesh out what the season goes like, you know, what it feels like and what the endpoints are. Yes. Okay. So then, if I correct, and I'm just gonna just gonna throw us into this discussion by asking, what is the first Madrid outcome for this season that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I actually want to talk about. I think what's interesting is the reason I framed it that way: three outcomes is because in general, every team has a floor and a ceiling, right? Um, you have like if things go wrong, you have like a floor that you know things can't go worse than a certain point because your players are too good. You have a ceiling where if things go right and everything meshes, everyone ends up being really well. And then usually you have a middle ground. So I feel like you have worst case scenario, best case scenario. Last season was probably the best case scenario I've ever seen of any season watching any sport. <laughs> um, but yeah, in general, teams end up between the 25th and 75th percentile, I feel like, of possible outcomes. If we're going statistically, you probably end up being doing better than your worst case scenario and not as well as your best case scenario. So I'm going to assume that's the case this season now i want to talk about why i think our floor for the worst case scenario out of those three outcomes actually the first thing i wanted to talk about is why i think even the worst outcome possible is not that bad this season i'm a little confident in this team in ways that i wasn't last season and the main reason is um our veterans and you know we've talked about our veterans before but kian do you feel like these guys are like i feel like they're smarter than ever they seem to be as far as like with Pintus, especially last season, I saw I thought we saw a throwback to the three P era when we would end up end the season so fit. And on top of that, we already have the best players and they're so smart. And last season we saw that like take a turn where it added to our player development. And I just feel like though Cruz, Modric, Benzema, the way they're like just bringing everyone together, I feel like we have the best leadership in football right now. So you're you're speaking intelligence also just at a higher level too, not just the players and on the field stuff. You're talking about competence at the board level, the managerial level, the staff, the coaching department, all that stuff, right? Yes. And I think, you know, there's an arms race in football for knowledge. Every club now employs a lot of people to do a lot of things. Where I think we have an edge is that I think there's buy-in from five-time Champions League winners that to a degree that we may not see at any other club. There's a lack of ego with these Champions League winners. I've never seen Benzema, Cruz, or Modric make the wrong decision in football. I've seen Ronaldo do it a lot. I've never seen these three do it, to, to give you a good example. And it's in the sense that... They're coming they're for just you, so collective. All, they're all listening to what you just said, all the Ronaldo fans. <laughs> I just think it's a very um, collective-minded um, leadership we have where they, they know how to bring the best out of individuals in a way that benefits the team. And I, I just think our philosophy there... Again, every other team also has the best players buying in, you know, doing work around the clock, you know, teaching younger guys what to do. Bayern Munich had this with Lewandowski, Muller, Neuer. Uh, Barcelona had this with PK Busquets when Messi was around. However, it's very rare that it translates seamlessly to the point where the next generation of players comes through and you're still winning. And I don't see why that would go down because we have like more years with Rodrigo, Camavinga, Chuameni. And Vinicius. And really, what I'm saying is, I think our young guys give us a very high floor this season. And just because we haven't seen them play in a system that leads us to us winning, 
doesn't mean they won't be valuable. I think we'll have a lot of games this season where we sub off our starting midfield 55, 60 minutes win and win games. And I think we have an ability to approach games as a squad in a way that nobody has. It's such a good family environment. And I think that's what wins football games, like collective understanding and unity. So I think what makes this era of veteran legends and leaders unique is that they're also very good at football still. I've seen in the past in different iterations of Real Madrid where you have the lingering legends stay and be leaders in the locker room, but they never aged well. I'm talking about like Fernando Hierro, like, you know, the last few years of his career, you know, didn't age like even a quarter as well as Sergio Ramos did, for example. You look at Luka Modric and Karim Benzema, like you you know better than anyone. We, You and I have discussed about how well they've aged and how the importance of they, them taking care of their bodies is such a unique thing uh, relative to other footballers their age and the way that other footballers have aged. So I think what's unique about this era is that it's actually led by veterans and legends who are still not only just good, but the best in the world at what they're doing. And that's very, very, very incredible to see for players like Kamavinga and Chu many coming in. And so there's that. I agree with you that the floor is pretty high with this team. It's hard for it not to be. Like the worst case scenario of like, for example, the Galacticos growing up, 2003, 2004 range was was much worse than it is now because there was a lot of defensive deficiencies. It was The unity wasn't as high. The legends declined uh more steeply you could on any given night you could probably have a bad loss this one is a lot different because there's a lot of again there's a lot of floor raisers in the team who are just really smart and good at football and there's cohesion and unity in the team and i think this goes back to the point about smart people at the board level because it's not always throughout real history where there's a clear sporting vision in place. I think our signings right now make sense on a tactical level, but also from a squad building and vision standpoint. And this is why I've said many times this summer, everyone's talking about Barcelona going to be better. I think that's true. I'm not going to debate that. But we're also forgetting that Real Madrid are better. Like the the two the 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 double winners from last season are better. Like can we just also just acknowledge that fact for a second because we got too many Rudiger and we have probably several players who are taking the leap who are going to have more playing time I'm talking about Rodrigo Camavinga and there's going it's a it's a better team and we can't discount that fact either the other thing about too many Rudiger and, and you I'm sure you guys touched on this on the too many emergency podcast which I joined for like a few seconds and and that's it but uh too many is a character signing. Rudiger is a character signing. This is just more character and more leadership infused into the team now. People who are not going to disrupt the locker room. There, it's just more people who are just going to mesh. So I think that that the, the intelligence all around and the floor, the 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 floor of this team, I, I I agree with you on both of those points for sure. Yeah, yeah. And to build off some things you said, firstly, um, yeah, Barcelona, you know, they're really good and they definitely had a great season as far as a uh, great off season, as far as players go and provided they can register them all, which they can because someone who works with the league and who, which someone works in a company in the league who conducts VAR reviews and, you know, works with the referees is funding their signings apparently, which is very interesting and completely um, clean. And sure the, it's very, ethical yeah, I'm everything sure that's happening there. Yeah. And honestly, the thing is, Kian, most people don't understand illegal things happen all the time under people's noses. However, you know, and I just tweeted about this before we started, it's usually not this blatant. Like you can't just 
if someone's tweeting about it the day it happens, you guys screwed up. Like, you guys are probably going to get in trouble with someone. And, you know, I was actually kind of looking forward to a good Barcelona, but not good enough to beat us Barcelona this season. And, you know, strengthen La Liga, but we'd still be the best. And I still think we will be the best. Um, however, this brings me into my season predictions. Now, I think the ceiling of our season, there's one man who this team depends on more than anyone else. He's a superhero in my eyes now, and that's Karim Benzema. And, you know, this guy, my respect for Benzema, Kian, is at a level that, you know, few people in football history or sports history have. This is, I'm talking, I respect him like I respect Tom Brady at this point. And not, I mean, in the sense of he's the goat of his sport, but in the sense that the way you're revolutionizing longevity is just breaking the game. You clearly understand reality better than other people. So I think Benzema, if he can play most of the season, we are set. Like our midfield will rotate, will take care of itself. Rudiger will fix any complacency in the back line. And Vasquez Carvajal will double up and do their job. Um, however, there's no replacing him. And it's because, you know, my experience from the Zidane years and what I remember is um, just from everything I've seen, I think all the off-pitch work doesn't have an endpoint if Benzema isn't there. However, there's a stretch without him. I expect the teams to actually get much better without him. There's just more talent than previous times. However, I think... Our season will depend on Benzema, but I expect our midfield, defense, goalkeeper, and every other position to grow and outperform expectations just like last season. So when we're talking about floors and and ceilings and stuff, the only way I would be concerned about the floor is if something happens to Benzema. Because the drop-off from him into who's next is going to be pretty dramatic. Uh I think there are going to be players in the team who can do some of the link-up stuff. Rodrigo can do that. I think Hazard can do some of that. Asensio could do some of that. It's the scoring aspect that I'm worried about. And so, God forbid, if something happens to Benzema, that's, I think, where the floor could get diminished a little bit. And by floor, I don't mean like we're going to be out of the Champions League spots in La Liga uh, or creep out of third place even. But it could be a, it could be the difference between... Uh, a, a final appearance in the Champions League and a, and a round of 16 appearance if you don't have Benzema. That, that's where I think the, the, the floor, I think, can be questioned, Sid. I also think in the league, I would add, I actually think the league, where I need, we need Benzema, and, you know, the first thing I tweeted is only one man can save us now, and it's him after seeing that Barcelona-La Liga corruption thing. And it's because it's true in the sense that, you know, like, go look, watch his finish against Man City or just, like, you know, half his finishes throughout the season. Those are things that few players in history in their prime could replicate, let alone anyone in that we sign in, like, who exists right now. I'm saying, like, you look at time, and it's very rare for someone to, you know, like, just casually bang in a left-footed volley off the post from outside the box against Man City. Just, like, first shot you get, you're not really warmed up, your team's barely playing, and then... But for you, you're sharp. You hit first touch you get, it goes into the goal. And I think that's... That expertise, I'll say, really, that's where my unique understanding I want to bring in that just from what I'm seeing, like from when I combine my understanding of health with what I'm seeing on the pitch, just the age at which he's changed. It's just not possible without a certain command over your body, is my opinion. And is especially because when you consider he returned to the national team and then he had the season, like he didn't have the same offseason he was used to for three years from 30 to 33, where he was already getting better. Then he goes, plays for France. He's playing the Nations League and he's still playing all season and he's better than ever because now he has Vinicius. So I think from that standpoint, um, I, I really think this man is a superhero and like I really think he can do it. And I already think last season was one of the greatest achievements in football history. I don't think 
think Cristiano would have been able to do what Benzema did for us. I'm really clear on that because his game understanding is so perfect as a veteran while he's also able to bring everything he did as a young guy. And, you know, that, that's where I think um, I, I would be concerned if he gets injured. However, the, the only problem here is that he's probably going to do well in the World Cup. And that's probably going to affect us. But I actually think he's going to have a great World Cup. He's going to come back in January. Maybe there's a week or 10 days where we're nervous. And then we're going to back to vintage Benzema. And I think he's going to bang in the goals, man. That's my honest gut feeling. I don't disagree. Don't disagree. Um, I, I had a whole Benzema segment. Oma and I had a whole Benzema segment on the post-game show for the Frankfurt game. I had one that I, you know, was on social media today. There's there's a lot of just Benzema praise going around, and it's all absolutely deserved. What is outcome? So the first outcome was basically you didn't. It, it's not a specific outcome, but it was just basically, you know, this team is pretty good. Something happens to Benzema. Let's just say something happens that's not happened in previous seasons to Benzema. That's the worst case scenario. Yeah, for sure. Best case scenario, or I'd say like the the I honestly I think the most likely outcome though is Benzema continues on the trajectory he's been at, and then. Then there's the middle outcome, Keon. What like last season? Would you say what do you think of the games Benzema list missed last season? The the obvious one was the Classico. But I also think there were there were nuances to that game that, that I think sometimes gets missed when we, we have a dialogue about well, this is the example of what happens when Benzema doesn't play. That to me was worst case scenario because Ancelotti tried something I think he would have never have tried if the league wasn't wrapped up at that point, and that was he put Modric as a false nine, and it was people were lost. I don't think he'll do that again, and I, so I don't know if that's the correct sample size of our game plan without Benzema. And I think if you just replace him with Rodrigo as a false nine, Vinicius on the left with Fetty on the right, or whoever, I I would wager it it's probably not that bad. I just Remember don't... when we beat Real Sociedad with Luka Jovic assisting yeah. Vinny and I thought we had the backup? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a very encouraging uh, night for, for us and Jovic fans and Jovic, but it, you know that we know history after that, the rest is history. But yeah, I, I do think the classical kind of taints, uh, taints a little bit our vision of what we think the team looks like without Benzema. Having said that, obviously it's a drop-off for whoever it is, but I don't know if it's as that bad. But my, I guess my concern would be if it's for a prolonged stretch, like you might be able to see fill-ins from Rodrigo or whoever from game to game, certain opponents. But if it's for a prolonged stretch to sustain it, it would be tough for me to see. And that that's where I think the concern kicks in if something happens to him. But I, I don't know. I feel like maybe we're... I don't want to speak it into existence. So that's why I don't, I don't even... I get. No, don't worry. Don't about, worry. I, yeah. Don't worry. Like, I, you know, just like the Man City second leg, I'm speaking this Benzema great season in existence. I think... I'll put it this way, Keon. Even if we wanted to, I don't think we can stop the man. Like, he's like that kind of guy. Like, we could say anything we want about him, and he's just fighting. Like, the way he lives, it's incredible. It's not possible to just grow this much, as we keep saying. And I'll add one more thing. I think the Classico is the key to understanding our season as a whole. Because, you know, we're we're, honestly, a lot of the year, we're in tactical shambles. And then as time goes on, we're clearly demonstrating a better understanding. But I feel like that specifically came after the Classico. Like, that and a lot of you really understood what works and doesn't and if people like first leg against City we were missing Casemiro second leg we played incredible block defense for a lot of stretches like and against Liverpool I still think we kind of flummoxed Liverpool I think they came in with their usual plan and it was just so 
like predictable to us that they re- they realized by the end like the smartest Liverpool fan I know Grace Robertson said Liverpool did not attack well that night however they tried everything they normally do and it still didn't come off partly because of Courtois but I think really we learned from Barcelona and not only did we learn from Barcelona after we learned from Barcelona our young guys had learned from Barcelona and our young guys got more confident and once we put those performances out everyone got better so people talk about Real Madrid looking at the expected goals and assists I understand but you have to understand at some point the team was not the same it was not the same team that started the season it was not the same team that was there before the Clasico and if that team still exists which I honestly know they do the culture is even better Rudiger is the kind of guy who reinforces it will be good and you know, the only thing I'm worried about is if Ancelotti actually doesn't rotate properly, which I still trust him because of Pintus. It's just more so, you know, I hope he gets it right. The Pintus thing, you know, we've had a whole segment on. He's, it's been insane, the work he's done. And, yeah, so th- those are all really interesting points. And I think um, the also just going back to the Liverpool game really quickly because, you know, we've discussed it to death over the past few months and after the game. But the Liverpool thing also uh, – I thought it. I thought we were the better team. I thought I. I didn't feel that threatened by their attacks, and when they did get through, it was Courtois brilliance. That game also could have been two or three nil in our favor, uh, if a call goes our way or a ball goes uh, a bounce ball bounces our way. But that's besides the point. Also, I think part of the reason why I'm also optimistic of that se- uh, of of this next season is that I also think we're going to be better defensively. And so if we can rely less on heroics from Courtois and just leave that as like the ultimate last resort and not rely on it and rely on it more, I, I think we'll be in a good spot. Let's get to outcome number two, Sid, though. Um, what is outcome number two for you? Yeah, I guess outcome number two, I guess since the way we're doing it is like really the high, the best outcome, the worst outcome and the me- median one. Um, I think there's an outcome... And, um, you know, I don't want to speak it into existence, but there's an outcome where we're like, okay, in the league where like we take time to get going people missing things means Barcelona might. And there's an outcome where Barcelona simultaneously do well in the league. You know, I wouldn't call this outcome too, because like, I think I made it clear. I think the outcome where Benzema's fit and we're good is actually 50% likely for me. And so the outcomes two and three are more like covering the other, not even 50% for me, honestly. But there's an outcome where like, yeah, we just, the collective wear and tear is enough on our players because the reality is since we have, in my opinion, some of the best in the world, they are going to do well in Qatar. It's the sad reality. Like, they will do well at the World Cup. Yes, Tony Cruz will be fit. I think that's underrated that he's not going to the World Cup. He's going to be ta- tactically, mentally fresh. And honestly, Cruz, when he's fresh, it is a pretty big difference in my experience. Like, over the years, if we, I'm sure you've noticed, like, he just has more energy, plays with a little more thrust, whereas when he's not fresh, you can take him out of the game easier. And yeah, however, outside Cruz, yeah, we're going to have a lot of guys playing well at the World Cup. Um, you know, I think Benzema could win the World Cup, honestly. Or I think um, Casemiro and Vinicius could also win the World Cup. It's quite reasonable that one of those two are in the final, if not both. And um, from that standpoint, um, if if we our players are so good that, like, you know, a 14-15 style season to some degree, not I don't think the same thing will ever be repeated. We Our depth was garbage that year. And what we have now is so much better, but... You know, we could finish second in the league and not go that far in the Champions League. And that's a quite that's a possibility because I think there, if there's one thing Barcelona have on us with the way their squad is built, I think they will destroy smaller teams better than us. I think they will wreck like the tw- 15 through 20 and 10 through 20, they will wreck better than us because that's how that, good and that's, Xavi and that's, that, that whole. Yeah, sorry. And that's pretty that's been proven and pretty been pretty common in since I've been born. Like I've been a Real Madrid fan. Like. 
they'll beat up and then they'll they'll be more consistent in those games. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. And it's and you know, we saw glimpses of that last season. And the key for them is Pedri, really. And now they have Lewandowski, but those two, if they're healthy, I feel like they pretty much will smother smaller teams. And you know, we're not gonna have that quite, but um, you know, again, it'll come down to Rodrigo too. You know, there is a scenario, the absolute best case scenario is that all our young guys make the leap and we repeat what we did last year. You know, back to that Champions League. That's really what I'm not I'm not that convinced we can't repeat the Champions League. That's the thing. Benzema stays fit. We still have the most Champions League experience in Europe. What are yeah. your thoughts, Kian? Okay, Does that so, feel like a little more likely to you? So my I have some thoughts on the World Cup point in particular in that that's another that's another look that all these points and outcomes are connected right so another way that the floor of this team could go down is if something disastrous happens to the world cup by the way i as much as i don't really care for this french national team like in terms of not 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 questioning their talent or anything i'm just i'm I don't, I'm not that fond of them as i was during like the zinedine zidane era or whatever but if I could definitely get behind Karim Benzema lifting the World Cup trophy and just really putting so many things to bed, any any people who doubt him at this point. I would love to see that. But I agree with you that I think it's going to be crucial. It's 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 a huge World Cup for, for a lot of our players. You know, every single player that we're sending there has a point to prove. For that reason, I also think this could be a huge Tony Kroos here. Um, and what we've seen from him against Frankfurt, preseason he's been just lights out good he's an incredible player and if he also just does not go to the world cup they're going to rely we're going to rely on him quite a bit i think towards the back end of the season in particular um and i also would say tamavinga for that reason assuming he doesn't get into the french national team him and cruz i think are going to be huge and i think that matters because uh, i think a lot of the players who are not going to be in the world cup or if they bounce early or if they're uh just on the fringes are not playing much. They're going to be important, I would guess, on the second half of the season. And I think Kamavinga and and Cruz will be important in the second half for that for that reason. And I would say the World Cup doesn't necessarily scare me as it would in 2018. 2018 was disastrous for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, Modric playing eight million minutes. Um, if anything, if someone comes back out of form from the World Cup, like let's say. If Militao comes back out of form for the World Cup, we have Rudiger now. If Casemiro comes out of form from the World Cup, we have too many. Or out of form or injured, take your pick, whatever the scenario is. Um, it, that pretty much, you can go down the list with all of our midfielders and center defenders. It's a different case, obviously, for, for the, the attack. But if, you know, given the fact that we have so much depth in those positions, I feel okay about it. But certainly the World Cup is a definitely a little... little um, little wrinkle and a little hurdle and an obstacle that we're going to have to navigate as will any other big club in the world setting players. So it's not a, a problem that's unique to ourselves, but uh, I, that's the point. I think that I, I, of all things you said, that one stood out to me the most. And I think Cruz and Kamavinga, I think will be important in the back end of the season. Yeah. And like you said, just to add like, yeah, everyone else has to deal with this. I still believe we'll deal with it the best. It's just, you cannot, at the end of the day, if you if you are the best and you deal with the best, it means you'll play the most games. It's just the reality. You'll make it farther in the World Cup. And that means the probability just tilts a little against you relative to someone who just plays less games. However, it, yeah, I think we'll handle it the best. <laughs> like, these guys know how to get, like, you know, Draymond Green said after the Golden State Warriors won the NBA Finals that the more experience, and I think the Real Madrid have an element of this because the Madrid and the Warriors are very similar in the way they came back out of nowhere and won this year for me. And 
with their experienced vets and against this new young in fashion team. And um, I think the, he was saying how like the opposition when they're younger, they just don't know how you should like not sleep in the same room as your family the night before a game. Just simple things that like allow you to perform way better. And I think, you know, it sounds crazy, but these real simple things, I think, you know, our stars have picked up on way more. I think Modric, especially after the pandemic, has picked up on a lot more ways to keep himself young. Um, you know, Modric picked it up 2020, whereas Benzema did 2018. That's the main reason I'm more confident about this World Cup. Um, yeah. Uh, we got to wrap it up soon, so I want to get to outcome number three. I'm assuming this is the outcome where it just it's just going to be lights out historic season, right? Yeah, yeah, or just the main, the one I was earlier I was saying that the most likely outcome in my opinion, I think we're gonna have a historic season. I think, um, because the thing when you get these off pitch details right, they transcend just one season. That's really what it comes down to. This doesn't, it's not a process that helps you this just tomorrow. It helps you next season, the year after. It lets you stay good for long. And and you know we've just gotten a much people don't realize how much we were deprived of talent in the previous years and how our vets just kept us going and they were like they were they should have burned out and. They like so many games and Zidane when we had 56 injuries the year before, where we just passed it around and somehow found a way through. Eventually, you know, the games were crazy to watch. And I'm sure you remember, like, you didn't know what was going to happen, but somewhere the goal would come because of Benzema. And it was a lot of passing through blocks and like not having players to break down blocks, but still somehow winning. Like, we had 56 injuries and we were not that far from winning La Liga, which is crazy to me. Um, and that is why I'm actually confident going into this season. This is like, and I felt this about our players before the pandemic. It's just when the pandemic happened and Hazard got hurt, I just couldn't feel it. I like, I almost like was blinded to how much good work we've already done inside the culture that's allowing us to even stay afloat, like have an 89 point season or 87 point league season with one 20 goal scorer, right? Under Zidane, like those sort of things to me were already outsized achievements given our talent. So if now that we have the talent, I, I just expect it to continue. And, um, yeah, I hope Courtois and Benzema can stay on top, man. That, like, so, the the one, like, we did our annual roundtable predictions, and I, I, without fail, I think every time we've done this roundtable, I've always basically predicted the treble. I go high if, you know, I always assume Real Madrid will win the Champions League and La Liga. That's just the way I've been kind of ingrained because I just know every year, no matter what, we'll always have that as our ceiling, no matter what. And... Uh, this year I learned not to crown us champions of Copa del Rey. This, like, I just assume now we'll crash out in the round of 16 of Copa del Rey and just I, I'm at peace with it now. I just accept it. But I do think our ceiling is pretty high. I really do. It's insane to me that we would not be favorites in the Champions League again. Uh, not that we weren't favorites at all last year. No one even talked about us. But I think if, if people make that mistake again this year, like really, really shame on them. And I think I've already seen some some pundits pick like there's some British pundits pick their their favorites, and I think Real Madrid or neither a Real Madrid player nor the Real Madrid team itself was in any of their conversations or predictions. It may happen again, but I I think our ceiling's pretty high, Sid. So the summary of all of this is that the ceiling is high and the floor is high, which is not a bad place to be. And the only way I think it could be super disastrous is if. An injury happens, really. God forbid. And uh, But other than that, I think the team is in a really good spot. I'm pretty happy with the vision. I'm pretty happy with the people in charge. And yeah, I could strengthen the team if I wanted to. And I think the club has that feeling as well. But I really liked a, a quote today said by Jurgen Klopp where 
he was asked about if they're going to get a midfield, and he said, look, we've, we're, we've tried. We've had conversations. It didn't work out. But we're not going to sign anyone just for the sake of signing anyone. And I think that's where Real Madrid stand right now on the backup to Benzema, right winger, right back. That's where they stand on it. And I think it's uh, the reason I, I, I like that approach is because we've been handcuffed in the past signing players for the sake of it, like the Hazards, like the Jovic's, etc. Bale's contract was a nightmare to get off of. And also, just Liverpool won't be in a situation three, four, five years from now where they're like handcuffed to a big contract of a player they don't want that didn't work out because they forced a signing this year. And I and I kind of that's I think it's a sound approach. I think that's a solid approach. It's a smart approach. And I think I like the fact that we're in that situation right now where we're going to take advantage of certain market opportunities. But if there isn't one, we're not going to handcuff ourselves. So uh, I'd say yeah, I, yeah I, and just to I, add. I don't Go think I think Hazard and Jovic were actually great players when when we signed them. I just think we got unlucky. Honestly, I think like and I just think we're getting better and better at just deciding. All right, we're only going to sign him if he'll succeed, no matter the environment. Now, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If you put put I put myself in the Hazard transfer when it happened, and he was one of the best players in the Premier League, and um, we needed offensive production outside of Benzema, and Vinicius wasn't scoring, but he was breaking lines. There is definitely argue, counter arguments to that in terms of maybe he wasn't a great fit with Vinicius because who was already had a really good season as a left wing breakout star but wasn't scoring. There are counter arguments, sure, but I mean Jovic was a beast at Frankfurt, and we've signed players on much less sample sizes. The fee was a little bit high with Jovic, but at that time it was a good signing, and it it didn't work out for various reasons we've discussed. But um, Sid, three outcomes in the books in the bag. Uh, we got we got to bring you on more often, so we'll talk air about more gimmicks uh, as the season progresses. Thank you for your time, my friend. Everyone, stick around for part three. But yeah, thanks, Sid. It was a pleasure as always. Of course, man. Catch you later. But tell me, Keon, how much credit to you in the in the Madridistas give to the man at the top of the ship? And I'm not talking about Carlo Ancelotti or any of the previous coaches either. The man that has overseen this renaissance of. Uh, say a renaissance when it's Real Madrid that's that's hardly uh, appropriate but the rebuilding and the restructuring of Real Madrid under Florentino Perez a, a, a man who has certainly re- received plenty of criticism in the past but my lord what what a what a what a visionary of a of a man now I don't know I have no idea Keon how you stand on this the, the, on this point whether you're a fan or a critic of the man but uh, the, what he has produced in, under his under his guidance under his vision of of a, a brand new stadium or basically a totally rebuilt team. Uh, a, a, Completely rebuilding a back lane that consisted of some of the greatest footballers that that, that, that the world has ever seen, um, and and they're still going onwards and upwards like a bottle rocket. Florentino Perez, Keon, give us give us the side view. Well, to your question of whether I'm a critic or a fan, I'm definitely a fan, and I and I think now no one is without their flaws, and certainly he will make mistakes. But I I think sometimes Ray, you don't really see how good and competent someone is and how much of a visionary they are until you see some of the things that are happening in other clubs. That's and, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> with, with just the fact that the, with the way Real Madrid navigated the pandemic financially under his guidance was really admirable. I mean, they somehow came out of this in the black and they were smart about it. And, and, and you look at the future and you look at 
the fact that Real Madrid just won a Champions League title and they've won so many over the past decade. And it almost doesn't, rather than it feeling like the closure of a chapter, it feels like actually something new is brewing. And that's a really weird thing to say when you have a a team like with Modric and Kroos and and Marcelo obviously moving on. Benzema's older. But their their investment in the youth and the way they've set up for the future, and not only that, I think there's going to be more coming. A lot of people, I think, who are critical of Florentino Ray are people who are criticizing the fact that he hasn't signed many superstars. And anyone to back up Benzema, which, by the way, like who is going to back up Benzema anyway? No. Like you know, so th- yeah, that's no. a whole different debate. But but the fact that the renovation of the stadium we finish next season and the amount of money and revenue that's going to bring in right. is going to completely change the game and allow Real Madrid to also make some big signings in the in the next five to ten years and, and beyond. So I, he's a visionary. There's no doubt yeah. about it, right? All right, before we wrap it up, I wanted to give a shout out to our patrons over on Patreon.com/slash/ManagingMadrid specifically to our $10 plus patrons who not only get guaranteed responses to their questions, but also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sherry Soriel, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Balmaceda, excuse me, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, uh, Scroll, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Mazariego, Muxi Thengal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armin Gashi, Armando L., Anton Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Alexis Seniseros, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin Mahrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Love you guys so much.